ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Coming to you live from the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios from East River 9. Here now are The Killer Bees, Jill Blank and Jeremy Brennan. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's blank. I'm Branham. Joe George is here. He's back. He didn't have the extended weekend after his birthday yesterday. Car wreck of the day. Happy birthday. That was you. You were our car wreck of the day. I heard. Brian McDonald is back. He is at Gal uh, running the board. It's turned out to be a beautiful day at East River and I. You want the sun out? You want a beautiful day? You, you bring the Killer Breeze. That's what we do. The Killer Breeze brings sunshine. They bring perfect weather. They bring a good time. And you need to get out to East River Nine on a Friday afternoon. Boy, especially since the morning shows basically said you can start playing golf again on Saturday. It's a complete wash. That's where I heard that. Yeah. I was just, I was, I thought that I heard that. Johnny G said it this morning, and they were promoting that, hey, you know, you can still play golf tomorrow. And I'm like, I rolled up going, it is a killer breeze with the killer bees because there's a nice little breeze going by, the sunshine, the skyline, the clear skies, people out there with their walking carts. It's beautiful. Yeah, I was just telling my new friend John that I heard that they shut down the course today. And he's like, yeah, there's people teeing off. He's like, oh, you're right. There are. There are people teeing off. So you can get out here, play some golf. Uh, I was, whenever I was walking up, there was a, a dynamic shootout on the pickleball court. Oh. Which uh, I think I could beat all my friends at pickleball. I've never played pickleball. I think you could beat all your friends at pickleball. I know that you've never played pickleball, but I'm confident in us. Uh, tomorrow is the biggest game in Houston Texans franchise history since 2019. It is a Who Said It Friday. It is a lot of things today. DJ Enemy will be joining us live from Indy coming up at 3.30 as well. Again, we are at East River 9, so come on out, hang out with us, play some golf, play some pickleball, have a drink, have a bite. It's all fantastic here. All right, so let's start with this. How do you beat Indy? How do you beat Indy? Week two, you, you didn't. Week two wasn't very good. Week two, they scored two touchdowns in the first two possessions. They they got great field, posi- uh, great field position on the second possession, uh, but it didn't go your way. You were down 21 points entering the fourth quarter. Much different when you look at that team versus this team, but that works both ways. How in the world do you beat Indy tomorrow night? Well, I think it starts with, and we've had this conversation quite a few times in the last couple of weeks. It starts with stopping the run. Indy wants to run the football a lot. They obviously have Jonathan Taylor. They've got some good running backs. They've got Moss. They, they had some guys throughout the year that have been able to run the football. When they can run the football, they can control the ball, control the clock, uh, and they seem to have a lot of success with Garner Minshew. And, and I think that where it starts from a Texans perspective, and we've heard D'Amico say this in some of his press conferences, hey, look, I, will look, I put on the tape. This, there are two totally different teams than what we saw in week two. But one of the things that we know from a Texans perspective is the defense has grown up a lot you got those interior defensive linemen to really start making a a you know a statement in the way that they're able to stop the run will anderson really came into his own in the in the you know the middle part of the season to really be the the guy opposite grenard to stop the run i think if they can stop the run that that would be the first thing that i would say would be a huge key to the texans having a chance to succeed and 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 being had their best path to victory the that's where i'm at too like to me, the recipe to winning this game is the same recipe as last week. Mm-hmm. I think that you have to win the running game, whether it's you offensively against the Colts, which might be tough because the interior of their defensive line is really, really good. But then what you do defensively. And in the past, in the last couple of years, like I know the Texans were miserable the last couple of years, but last year they had the worst rushing defense in the NFL. They had one of the worst rushing defenses this century in the NFL. D'Amico's turned it all around. Better talent, yes. He's better. His scheme, way better. But I have kind of this weird confidence that even though they're going up against Jonathan Taylor, I think that they can stop the run enough to win the football game. And I'm not saying to shut down Jonathan Taylor like you did Derrick Henry where he had 16 carries and 9 yards. Nothing like that. But you keep them in check. You keep them under 90. You keep their running attack in general under 100. Force Gardner Minshew to beat you. I feel oddly confident that the Houston Texans against the run can accomplish that. Well, when you look at the two guys, Rankins and Collins, to me, made such a huge difference for the majority of this season when they were kind of tag-teaming for a while and one guy would play well and then the next week the next guy would play, play well. But when those guys really established the middle of the defensive line, it, it, was, it, it made a, a huge impact. And I thought about how they stopped Derrick Henry. The thing is, is Jonathan Taylor is so much younger and more dynamic of a back than Derrick Henry's just you know battering ram style. But at the same time, 
I believe that because of the way that that front four can play together, the way that they can, the way that uh, at least from the standpoint when they were healthy, Grenard's obviously not going to play, but Will Anderson can contain the edge. If they can contain the edges, their their bull rush in the middle is going to help them a ton in trying to seal up some of those gaps. I feel really good about the personnel that they have on the front of the defensive line and on the edges. That's where I'm at with the, the defensive side as well. Slow down Taylor. Like Gardner Minshew is going to make a few plays where it's like, oh, Minshew mania, things like that. And I, I think their receiving core is actually a little underrated. I think Pittman's pretty stinking talented. He is. Uh, I think that Pierce and Downs are like solid pieces. I, you know, a lot of people look at that Colts receiving room and like, oh, they're terrible. I, I don't think so. I think that they're – I'm not going to put them top ten in the league. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, was good in college. Player. Yeah. It's only his second year, too. Yeah, I think they right. got him that's last right. year. Down's yep. a rookie who, again, like he's still young, but I think somebody who has a pretty high upside that has the potential. But, you know, upside and potential doesn't matter tomorrow because tomorrow it's win and, and you're in. Offensively, I was listening to Mita Kimes actually break this down where she was talking about how the Colts play a lot of zone and, like, I think cover three was the specific zone that they play. And then she looked at what C.J. Stroud does against that sort of defense, and apparently he kills it. He crushes against that sort of defense. So, like, that's cool to hear. That's exciting to hear. I don't put too much stock in what happened in week two, but that was the game that C.J. Stroud exploded. A lot of it was in the fourth quarter. If we were to rewind all the way back to after that game, that was the huge debate. Well, was it garbage time? or was it not garbage right, time, right. but still went nuts, was making all sorts of throws. So one of, the, one of the things looking back at that game, too, if you want to try to draw some sort of like positive outlook from it, you got down 14 nothing early. Your defense kind of sustained it for a little bit. Then the Colts finished the first half strong, and then the Colts only scored three points in the, in the second half. So it's like, did you figure it out, or did the Colts just kind of you know, start eating the clock and running the ball, doing things like that? If you want to look at another positive outlook – the Texans offense, uh, the Texans offense went nuts in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was a twenty-one point game, but it was a twenty-one point game that C.J. Stroud almost got the Texans back into. So you can take some from it, you can take nothing from it. Uh, I'll listen to both sides, but I am intrigued to see C.J. Stroud against the defense that he's supposed to exploit, and I'm also very intrigued to see if C.J. Stroud's a big game player in the NFL. Big time. Now remember, now he's been comfortable in that stadium in the past. I, I mean, the Big Ten championship game has been played in Indy before. Yes. I, I, I mean, I just I'm not I'm not the comparing the same against, way. Who who's winning? What is it? The leaders in Legends Division. I know that they got rid of that, but yeah. who are they playing in the Big Ten title game? Like, uh, but I understand. I'm just saying. It's not going to be like, you know, it, he, at least there's some familiarity with the stadium. He was bashing Indy in his little video that he had before the year. But the bottom line is, is getting back to what you said, too, even in week two, we started doing that checklist of everybody was going to be hypercritical of CJ and saying, was that just garbage time in the fourth quarter? Okay, check that off. Then, okay, what was it? Can he lead them back on a, on a drive when they're trailing late in the game? Okay, check that off. And then we started to check all the boxes going, no matter what you bring at this guy, and this is the next in the progression, he's got to be able to step up in his first NFL you know, big-time game with playoffs on the line. A lot of people like me feel like it is a playoff game, and it's going to be that atmosphere. But you feel like he's been in enough big games that this isn't going to be a moment that's too big for him. It's just that he has to stay within himself. Don't try to do too much. Don't try to make it all happen by yourself. You've got guys and you've got the ability to do what you've been doing all year. You know, work the ball around. Put touch on the balls. Throw the right accuracy on the out routes. Get your guys in position to get some yards, and I think they'll be just fine. See, I wonder... Because I think Stroud, I would consider Stroud a big game player in college. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say, right? Yep. Like I didn't watch all his Big Ten championship games against Maryland, uh, but he was big against I don't like think it was ever Maryland. Yeah, but okay, the equivalent yeah. of Maryland, like Michigan State, Iowa, who can't score points ever. Like the other division in the Big Ten is lousy. Like the biggest game that C.J. Stroud plays in conference is the last regular season game of the year against Michigan. That's far more critical than any Big Ten title game that he ever played in. Yeah, and he might they... not have played it in a lot of them because Michigan had his number. Yeah, and they've blown the doors off Wisconsin, so I already know that. So, but we knew that Stroud had a big game against Georgia in the semifinal. Like, he, he led a game-winning drive. He led a game-winning drive against Georgia, the national champion. His kicker let him down, and if the kicker didn't let him down, then he beats Georgia and probably wins the national title because Georgia crushed TCU in the national championship game two years ago. So Stroud has shown to be a big-game player in college. I think it's much different college sure. to the NFL. So I'm wondering if that big-game gene translates to the NFL. And this is the first time, like, it was Tennessee last week, a big game. It was important, but you kind of expected the Texans to roll out of bed and beat a bad Titans team. This is the first time we have a look to see if big game Gene C.J. Stroud 
that translates to the NFL. Well, especially since we've heard his whole life he's been wired for this. This is what he's wired to do. This is what he's always wanted to do. This is why he's such a student of the game and and breaks down the X's and O's and doesn't respect coaches that don't and all these other things. I, I mean, I don't know what's a bigger game, playing in the national semifinal or playing in this game this week against Indy. I kind of feel like the Ohio State experience was a bigger all-over all national event. But I feel like what I'm taking yeah, away from that is... the competition's different. It that, is. Because your Michigan-Ohio State, like I was looking at like TV ratings of like the, the top TV rating in every sport. Michigan-Ohio State had the best college football TV rating last, whatever, 2023. Bigger than like college football semifinals. Bigger than bowl games. So I do think it's like the stage is, the, is similar, yeah. if not like bigger, because I would agree with that. It's more about the competition. Because sure. like being, having, being able to have the clutch gene in college games isn't the same as having the clutch gene in the pros. But you're right. But I think that just from a nerves perspective, of course you'll have butterflies. Of course you'll be up for the game. But I don't think he's going to throw up all over himself in the first couple of drives and feel like, oh, my God, I I could have never anticipated what this was going to be like. I feel like he's going to be in his element in the moment, and it's not going to be too big for him. But now, like you said, to your point, he now has to execute it on a different level of competition where you're not going to be able to see major weaknesses. Your receivers aren't going to get 10 yards of open. You're going to have to make plays, throw your receivers open, and understand the reads to make the appropriate reaction in the huddle and at the line of scrimmage so that your team can do what they're capable of doing. Yeah, I'm with you on that, too. Like, if I had to predict, do we see the the gene carry over to the NFL? I do think that yeah. he's not going to be... Like bow down at the moment. I don't think he's gonna, you know, pee down the side of his leg. I don't see that happening, but I need to see it. Yep. Like I, I need to see that actually be the case. I expect to see some of that. I'm ex- that's why I'm so excited. Like I'm excited for a variety of reasons. But do we have clutch franchise quarterback C.J. Stroud like we all think he will be? Because he did that against Georgia. But let's see it. Let's well, I see go it. back I'm to excited the, to see. I go back to that checklist too of all the boxes checked and say, hey, this is one where we've seen so many boxes checked, I fully expect that it's not going to be too big of a moment for him, and I expect him to have a good game tomorrow night. And look, it goes back to the conversation we had yesterday. Like, I think C.J. Stroud has passed the test of, like, is he a franchise quarterback or not? Is he a quarterback that you feel confident in, like, handing him the reins of the organization and, like, you feel like you're going to be a team that could potentially play for Super Bowls at some point or be a Super Bowl contender? We, we all think that. But if you're in that stratosphere, if you're in that tier, like Pat Mahomes, like Lamar Jackson, like Dak Prescott, Burrow. like Jalen Hurts, like Joe Burrow, like, did I say Allen? Like, we expect Justin Herbert to be, but he hasn't done it. Like, once you get to be in that conversation, and you, you can rank them wherever you want to rank it. You want to put them top three, you want to put them top ten, whatever. Like, the franchise quarterback tier. Shroud's in that franchise quarterback tier. So how does that tier get graded on? Well, how do we talk about Allen? Well, he stinks in the playoffs and turns it over. How do we talk about Justin Herbert? Well, he doesn't win playoff games. How do we talk about Lamar Jackson? C.J. Stroud has put himself in that ballpark where all of the national media, all of us, maybe not this year, C.J. Stroud is going to be graded on on how he plays in big games, how he plays in playoff-type games. And this is the first time we're going to have a look to see the quarterback that's in Houston in the ballpark with those other guys. Can he do it at the highest level in a playoff-like atmosphere, then hopefully in the playoffs in the following weeks. What do you think? 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line. We are broadcasting at East River 9. We hope to come out, hope for you to come out, hang out with us, play a little golf, play a little pickleball, have a little bite, have a little drink, do all of that. Do some of it. Do one of those things. Uh, plenty to get to today. Uh, who said it? We'll play some BZ money. We hand out some winners uh, with the Killer Bees uh, as well. Coming up next from East River 9, Will Kunkel. This is the, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, this is the Berman replacement at Fox 26. We all know who, who he is. does really good work. Uh, I, I like his work. He says if the Texans win, it'll be the biggest win in franchise history. Are we on board with that? 713-780-3776. He's a Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. He's a Joe George Radio on Twitter. I'm a Jeremy Branham on Twitter. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5.com. Iacane powder. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Well, the 
Food Bank of Buffalo Bayou, you'll find the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios at East River 9 and its current occupants, the Killer Bees. Here's Joel Blank and Jeremy Brenham. We are indeed at East River 9, nine-hole golf cars, uh, nine-hole golf course with spectacular views of the of the uh, city. We're currently in the River House restaurant where the food is fantastic. Sports bar, atmosphere, wall-to-wall TVs. Of course, they carry some gentle bin. You already know about that. A driving range, pickleball courts, live music on Saturdays. They'll be showing the Texans game here tomorrow. Great spot to uh, hang out and enjoy that. 713-780-ESPN. How do the Texans beat the Colts tomorrow? 713-780-3776. So Will Kunkel, kind of new to uh, to Houston, right? Came, I think, from Carolina. He replaced the legend, Mark Berman, those little big shoes that he has to fill. He says if the Texans win, will it be the biggest win in franchise history? Where do you stand on this, Blinkers? He poses the question, will it be the biggest win in franchise history if the Texans win tomorrow night in Indy? I just don't think so. I think that it's easy to get on the hype train because of the fact that you feel good about this entire franchise again and you feel about all the different elements that have made you feel that way from what Casario has done and what we've talked about with D'Amico and CJ. But I think that we forget that this team has won some playoff games and this team has won some playoff games where they were forced to use a backup quarterback and a lot of people didn't give him a whole hell of a lot of chance to win football games. And they've gone pretty far, though they never got to a conference championship. So I, I don't think it is, would be the biggest win in franchise history not to take anything away from getting a win on the road in a house of horrors where they have rarely won uh, and they've really struggled against Indianapolis, period. I just feel like there are other wins that were completely surprising that were bigger because there was a lot more on the line because it truly was a playoff game. So I think this one is a playoff game. Like I know it's it, not it like a feels official like playoff game. It's not a wild card round. Like this is pre wild card round. Like pre wild card round. You have the wild card round. You have the division round, and that's it. That's it. Like you, the Texans have never went further than that. So like you're two rounds. If you win this, you're two rounds away from reaching like the pinnacle. Like the the furthest this franchise has ever gone. Now. I would argue that winning this game with C.J. Stroud is bigger than winning a game with a backup quarterback, even though it's in the playoffs, because it's more about, like, hope. It's more about, like, what is your confidence in this team? Like, if you win a wild card game with a T.J. Yates, is that bigger than winning a play-in game to get to a wild card game with C.J. Stroud? I would argue it's not, because the upside just isn't there. You beat the Raiders, you beat the Bills, and you beat the Bengals twice, I think, right? Right, but I'm talking specifically no. about so, winning so with a backup quarterback. I understand what you're saying, too, but I'm just saying, because, and I threw that into the mix of saying because they've won playoff games. I think the Bills game was another big game because they played terrible. They looked like they were going to lose that game, and finding a way to win kind of rejuvenated and energized the city, and it was the playoffs, and you thought, well, now we've got even more hope going to the next round of the playoffs. I think that, you know, when you think of the Watt interception for the touchdown and some of the ways that they won, it really became a bigger win for the franchise. I understand for the big picture, it means a whole hell of a lot more because you've got a kid at quarterback that's going to be with you, you think, for a long time to be the man. And every bit of experience and any win he gets just continues to kind of elevate and expedite where he's going and where this franchise is headed. But we forget that this franchise was pretty successful for a while. They went on a good run. Some of those playoff wins, to me, I think were bigger because then the people, everybody felt like they have a chance to do more, get where they've never gotten before. This one, yes, feels like a playoff game, but it would be just to get into the playoffs, and then they'd have to go on from there. So I still feel like there are other wins that were bigger. Yeah, I mean, I'm nitpicking that one because if, you, if you're a backup quarterback, to me, it's like, ah, oh, it's great that you won that one, but you kind of feel like you're limited in how far you can go. And maybe, maybe people feel like they're limited in how far they can go in C.J. Stroud's rookie year because it's year one, you're still very young, you're still far away. Now, I would the answer to the question for me is a resounding no. This would not be the biggest win in franchise history. Uh, I'm not going to count a pre-wild card round as, like the same as winning a wild card game i think this is prisoner of the moment like yesterday we had the conversation 19 texans versus the 23 texans maybe it was two days ago i can't remember uh and i answered that one 23 texans well you're a prisoner of the moment you're you're living where your feet are etc cetera, etc cetera. no i believe in D'Amico and cj more than i believed in o'brien and and deshaun watson this to me is different like winning a play in game in week 18 versus like tangible you've won a wild card game when some of these seasons the Texans won 12 games mm-hmm. like I can't put it up there over like real actual playoff games it'd be top 
seven-ish sure. all-time wins, maybe even top five, but I'm not putting it ahead of uh, the majority of the playoff wins, and there hasn't been a ton, a majority of the playoff wins the Houston Texans have had in their franchise history. I'm interested how you guys feel about this, because the one thing that I do feel differently about this game than I do about some of those other games, and maybe it was the landscape of the rest of the league and where the team had yet to go, I felt like, hey, every time the Texans won a playoff game, I was like, wow, that's an eye-opener, and maybe they can go a little bit further. But it wasn't that overall confident excitement that, hey, this is something building where there's going to be a someday. There's going to be an AFC championship game. There seems like there's going to be a Super Bowl that you feel like this team can go a lot farther than that those teams did previously because of who's at the helmet quarterback and because the overall talent they're building. 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line. Uh, where do you stand on this one, uh, Joe George? Uh, to me, it's really it's the 2019 game versus the Bills. Like that, it's, it's this game or that one because in that moment with Deshaun Watson – it was still like it's still what's next for this franchise if you win that playoff game. It's not about the game the following week, but like if you just go back in like what game is just as big as this? It's the game with Deshaun because it's what you talked about, Jeremy. Like it's it's the future of the Texans franchise at that time. We believed was Deshaun Watson. We believed maybe he would emerge as a top five quarterback in the NFL. We know the story that happened after, but. Like in retrospect, I think it's that one game. I think the, the that first is the one. Best comparison. I think the first one's big too. I think you're right with the comparison, but winning that first playoff game, I think, is huge. And that was TJ Yates winning that playoff game. But you get the Watt pick six. It's the first playoff win in franchise history, and yeah, like it matters. the first always matters more than like some random wild card win when you've done it three other times. See, I, mean, what I think it's interesting about this conversation too with like the Texans is if you had this conversation with almost any other franchise in the NFL, like, you'd have so much history to choose from. Where, like, with the Texans, because they're still so young, like, I, you might, there might be people who make the argument the game versus the Cowboys, the first game, the first win ever. Like, it's, a, it's the first win of your franchise that, like, everyone remembers. I, I think that would be on the list of the most memorable wins in franchise history. Yeah. It's hard for me to put that one over any playoff win, though. No, for sure. Yeah. It's on the short list, but above playoff wins, it wouldn't be for me. The crazy thing, too, but to, to, to when Joe said that, the one thing that popped into my head was, of all these expansion teams, of all these teams that came into the league later and doesn't, don't have the history of some of the, the longer-standing NFL teams, you think about it and you go down the list. Carolina's been to a Super Bowl, and, and, and Jacksonville has, has had success and, and gone all the way to a, champion, a, a championship game. Detroit might be the only team where you go, what were their bigger wins? You know, they haven't really experienced that. But from the standpoint of the Texans, you look at their history and go, they've never been to a championship game. They've never been to or won a Super Bowl. So it, it, it's a lot more nitpicky when you start trying to get down to what are your top five, top ten biggest wins. Yeah, it's hard. Like, I, I pulled up a list, and, like, they have, you know, just winning a football game two days after Bob McNair passed away on this list of ten. Like, it is not exactly like a who's who of football games the Texas no, franchise has won. So, like, this is definitely towards the top. Like, I, I do view it fully as a playoff game. So, I think besides the first one, besides 2019 versus the Bills, like, I think it's fair to say it's would be third on that list. I'd probably right put it now. more top five than top three. Yeah. More top five, I'd top agree three. With that. I, I'm more top five-ish as well, too. Because I think, look, especially with a team that doesn't have that much history, every playoff game matters. I mean, if I'm sitting there rattling off, I think, all the wins they've had in playoff history. They've only had what, it, four, four, I think. The Raiders, the Bills, and two against the Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah, And, like, and, the Raiders one hurts you because who was playing quarterback? Yeah, it was, like, exactly. It was, like, their third-string quarterback. Wasn't it Connor Cook? Yeah, I think so. I think it was Connor Cook. I think that's correct. Did he go to Michigan State? Yeah. Yeah, that's who it was. Yeah, so like that's a game where it's like, yeah, it's great you want a playoff game, but you beat Connor Cook and the Raiders. Yep. Like Derek Carr was having a great year that year, but he got I wanted hurt. So here's a funny story. That was the year that Bill O'Brien was flirting with other teams. The, he was flirting with other teams, and they beat the Raiders. And like, since he had a game to prepare for the next week, he kind of like pulled himself out of consideration for the NFL other teams? openings. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I remember at a certain point that college teams were trying to court him again. No, this was I, he was flirting with other NFL okay. teams whenever they they beat the Raiders. And I wanted I wanted the Texans to fire him. I was like, he is not a good enough coach for you to be putting up with him searching for these other jobs. And the coach I wanted, Kyle Shanahan. 
That would have been a good I, and people thought I was nuts. Well, you're going to fire a coach that's in the play? Yeah, I am. He sucks. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Pat myself on the back there for an old an oldie but a goodie. Uh, broadcasting live from East River Nine. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. When we come back, DJ Bianami, who covers the Houston Texans for ESPN, ESPN.com. He's an indie. We got boots on the ground there. He joins the Killer Bees when we return on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five. Hey guys, before we go to the break, we know it's twenty twenty four. You want to have more fun as a sports fan. You want to have a ton more fun. Make games more interesting. Maybe make some more money. Well, all I can tell you to do is go to mybookie.ag because every little wager on a game creates more fun, more excitement, and more chances to win money. Mybookie.ag is the only place you're going to hear me tell you to go when you want to put money on any kind of game, and you can get in-game action. You can get the pre-game action. You can get the spreads and the over-unders. So many things you can do, NFL, NBA, NHL, golf, soccer, you name it, they got it. You can even make your prediction now on the big game in February. Just go to mybookie.ag. Click on bonuses to see all the great ways you turn your deposit into bonus cash. Whether you're new to the the site or you've been on before and you're reloading, you can also refer a friend and get some bonus cash, but you always have to remember our promo code. It's BET975. Use it all the time and anytime. Whenever they ask for your promo code, it will pay off for you by instantly getting you more money in your account. My bookie also has casino games, live dealers standing by, blackjack, roulette, and a whole lot more. Check them out when there's no games going on, when you still want to get your gambling fix and have some fun. Start your fun today. MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code BET975. And as I always tell you, bet anything, anytime, anywhere. But the only place I tell you to do it, it's MyBookie.ag. ESPN 97.5 on YouTube. Dracula Flow. These cops are interrogating me about an ounce of weed as if I didn't kill an Applebee's hostess two miles away. We now return you to the Killer Bees, live from the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios at East River Nine. Here are your bees, Joel Crank and Laramie Cranham. Let's go out to another bee, straight out to the HRMP guest line. DJ Bianame is our guest. This is the Killer Bees broadcasting live from East River Nine. Uh, DJ has his boots on the ground in Indy. I guess safe travels. Huh? I saw your tweets, DJ. You said there's a lot of Texan fans on your flight. Yeah, I was sitting next to one. I sat next to one. But I was surprised that he wasn't watching the, uh, the the week two game that they had on NFL Network on the plane. They had it on. I guess the Colts. <laughs> he wasn't watching it, but when someone shouted, let's go Texas, he said, let's go Houston. So, yeah. <laughs> DJ, we talk about this game, we're talking it a lot of ways, but the one thing that look, we just got done discussing early in the show is if the Texans want to take advantage and win this football game, it starts with stopping the run, starting stopping Jonathan Taylor, and really stopping what the Colts want to do. How do you see that from the perspective of health, first and foremost, because of how important having some of those interior defensive linemen are, but how you see that in terms of the complexion of the game? Yeah, no, I think Sheldon and Malik have been the driving force, and well, I've been the driving, I mean, the whole D line has been the driving force in regards to being a drastically, going from the sixth worst run defense in NFL history for a single season to top three in yards allowed per game. Um, they've been the driving force because again, in this defense, on Danico, it's on the D line to get after, to, to disrupt stuff versus set up. Cause you know, last year on the Levy, the D line was basically the people that were forced to help assist and bring create holes for the linebackers to, to, to come through. But they weren't necessarily, not necessarily allowed to, but their objective wasn't to rush upfield. Now it's to rush upfield and cause mayhem, which makes the linebackers' life easier. It makes the safety's life easier. Um, that's why a lot of guys like playing in this type of scheme because when it can get you paid more from a D-line perspective and your job is a lot easier. Imagine being a 300-pound guy having to, when you – Get off the line of scrimmage and you initiate in contact. Your job is to catch, hold, and read block versus you can just get upfield and try to cause mayhem. So that's going to be the biggest change from last year to this year. And they're going to need that against Jonathan Taylor. Demico said earlier in the week that he's a physical player. It's going to take more than one guy to bring him down. And I think that's going to be the case. Because again, if you can put, um, Gardner Minshew, put the game in Gardner Minshew's hands, you have a better shot at winning that game. I think, that's, I think that applies to, like, the majority of offenses, right? If you make them one-dimensional, you have a great chance 
at winning, it was like a few, it was like only a few offenses where if you're one dimensional, where the guys just rely on the quarterback's arm, they'll be okay. The Colts ain't one of those teams. So, yeah, I think that's where it's going to start. It's, this game's going to come down to who controls the line of scrimmage. I know that's a cliche, but there's a lot of games where that is the legitimate driving tactic, and this is one of those games. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I completely agree with that statement. DJ Bayanime joining us on the HRNP guest line. I think one of the storylines going into the game that could be you know, a determining factor as well as this injury report, Noah Brown out, John Grenard out, and then a bunch of questionable guys, Woods, Anderson, Beck, Collins, Rankins, and the left tackle for the Houston Texans. What are you hearing on the injury front, and how big of a loss are the, the guys that you know, Brown, Grenard, and then anybody else that could potentially be missing this game as well? Yeah, and no, I think missing Gennard is um, that's probably, you know, the second biggest miss for the team um, behind the shot for, like, you know, a extended period of time. I think I think in terms of value, yeah, because, again, like, he, he he gets the quarterback down, right? Like, you know, the, you know when the, when the edge rusher gets to the top of his rush, it's a moment of truth. And some guys are just better equipped because they have longer arms, whatever it is, to get the quarterback down. And he's been able to be at a high level. You know, he's missed the last two games, and he's still top 10 in sacks. So that you just know what type of season he was having. Um, so that's a big miss. Obviously, Noah Brown doesn't feel like a big miss if you're, like, looking at it from 30,000-foot 30, perspective, but it's a big miss, mainly because you're already missing Tank. So if you're missing Tank, and now you're missing Noah, who's fourth, I think he's third on the team in receiving, either him or Dalton Schultz. I want to say, um, yeah, I, w- I would say he's fourth behind Schultz. But again, like, you're replacing him. Who are you going to replace him with? You're replacing him with, um, you know, uh, John Metchie slash Xavier Hutchinson, which there is going to be a drop-off of some magnitude going from Noah Brown, who at one point in a two-week span and the two biggest wins that the Texans have to this point in the season, Noah Brown had over 300 yards in those games with a touchdown. So you know in the big game, where you really need him to show up, he's been able to, um, um, for the most part. Obviously, losing Denard, but again, right? You have Malik. I think Malik's going to go. Sheldon's probably going to go. Will's probably going to go. In my opinion, this is my opinion. Like, yeah, they should have the majority of the D line there to be able to hold it down. For me, like it's more important that if they have the two defensive tackles, because yeah, Denard, losing Denard is a big track. You know, it's a big mess, and I think obviously value wise, he's up there. But the drop off isn't. The, the, you know, from the size of Earth to Pluto, where, like, if you lose Malik and Sheldon or one of those two, their replacements aren't nearly as good as, okay, where if you lose Denard, you know, Denard's been out. You still have Will. You still have uh, Derek Barnett, who's had, in the last few starts, two and a half sacks, ten quarterback hits, right? So, you'll be able to mitigate where if you, you're missing Malik or you're missing Sheldon, the drop off from those two guys to Kirk Heinish or the guy that got from Tennessee, is a little bit more noticeable. Obviously, both those two guys are still capable backups, but the drop-off is still would be noticeable. Okay, so, DJ, we know that if they can somewhat control or, uh, the running game, we know Pittman's a big weapon for them. Obviously, a lot of people would love to see Stingley follow him all over the field. We know that's not normally the way D'Amico likes to do it. Uh, with the focus on Pittman and how to stop him, I mean, is that something that they're not going? That there's just no way they're going to do and have Stingley follow him around? Nah, mainly because um, mainly because I mean, I, I would say in all honesty, if you had Stingley follow, if you had him follow Michael Pittman, you'd have to worry about pitching off Stephen Nelson, um, because like that would be an openly a mission that our other corner isn't good enough on the perimeters to hold Michael Pittman. And well, Stephen Nelson played good football this year, um, but also knowing Stephen Nelson the person, that would probably irritate him drastically. And you don't want to possibly, you know, especially when it's not even necessary, right? Like, it, like people, I don't love the followers, the cornerbacks, but you like if the other guy is more than capable to hold his own, then there's no point of following. In my honest opinion, right? I think following is very specific based off of who. The other receiver is, and I, in my honest opinion, Michael Pittman isn't a receiver you follow. That's just me. Yeah. And again, like, it, it depends on what the offense is like. Okay, like Miami, when they played the Jets in Miami, they had Daniel Ramsey follow Garrett Wilson. One reason was Xavier Howard was out. The other reason was that the Jets' entire offense flowed through 
the passing attack flows through Garrett Wilson. Like, if Garrett Wilson ain't getting open, if Garrett Wilson ain't getting the ball, the passing attack is dead. Right? The whole offense basically is dead. Where the Colts, that isn't necessarily the reality. Where if you, you limit Michael Pittman, that's going to completely thwart everything for them because they can still get their ground game going because, you know, they still got Dante, they still got Zach Moss. Right? So, you know, they have the 13th ranked running attack. Um, they're, you know, I think they're getting like 114 yards per game. So, yeah, like, I don't envision any scenario where Stingley's following Pittman. One, Pittman isn't that type of receiver that commands that type of respect, in my opinion. Right? The guys that we've heard get followed this year are DK Metcalf, Tyreek Hill, Mark Cooper is going to get followed by Sauce. Like, those are the guys that have been designated to be followed. I mean, you know, like, you got to be a next-level guy for a defensive yeah. coordinator to be like, we're going to have to follow that guy. And I don't think Michael Pittman is even in that, that class. I think you might be underrating Pittman a bit. I, I would agree that I don't think he's in the class of the receivers that, that you said. And I would agree with you a little bit, too, that uh, this isn't the type of game that you do it. Now, Cleveland, I would say, it's the type of game that you do it. But why in the world are you caring about pissing off Steven Nelson in a must-win game? Well, it's not as well. It's not as you know. Well, that's fair. That's a fair point. But being a coach, a head coach, is about managing. It's more than just actually, you know. It's also also about managing egos to make sure you can get the best out of all of your players. It's not. This isn't like a spreadsheet where we. That's how we design the game plan. If you're looking at stats, you're looking at analytical data, you're also wondering about, okay, if we do this, what's going to happen to, 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 to over here? Okay, what maybe this might make this guy upset or react in a negative manner that might hurt his ability on the field. And again, like as I said, like, like obviously Stingley is their best corner or arguably their best corner, but the gap between Stingley and Nelson isn't that big to the point where you need to have somebody travel, especially for Michael Pittman. Like, yeah. I understand. I might be underrating him a little bit, but still, again, in today's NFL, the guys that get followed are like top flight premier guys, right? Again, he came or a big out. gap, or, or a big gap between receiver one and receiver two. Like, I think Amari, I think you're right. Yeah. Like, this one, this one, and the, the, the biggest threat that they have offensively, Jonathan Taylor, I agree. DJ, I was reading your work today on ESPN.com. DJ B. Enemy joining us on the HRMP guest line. I, I saw your bold prediction. The Texans will win by more than 10 points as a quarterback. C.J. Stroud throw for more than 350 yards. Texans a completely different team than the one that faced the Colts in Week 2. Uh, Stroud threw for 384 yards in that game. Most of it in the fourth quarter, down by 21. The Colts lean on running the ball, and the Texans have the third-best run defense in the NFL. Once they stop the run, the Texans will run away with it. What makes you think that the Texans win this game by double figures, DJ? Yeah, I think once they stop the run and put it in Gardner Minshew's hand, but mm-hmm. most part, I think this is going to be the game where the pass secondary doesn't allow a backup caliber quarterback to go crazy. I think this is going to be one of the games where they finally answer that call in, in that regard. And again, like I think... Um, Outside of, I know, it, it, it's tough because they've allowed Bryce, Zach, Desmond, but let's go on and on to guys that aren't necessarily, you know, guys that are franchise caliber guys to go crazy, but they've also stifled other quarterbacks. And I think in this game, with this type of money on the line, divisional game, they know these guys inside out, vice versa. They'll be able to, and again, like, when I was rewatching that game, the turning point in that game was when Gardner Minshew got inserted in. Because when a backup quarterback gets in, the offensive coordinator has a massive advantage because you have no idea what their tendencies are. You're just calling plays at that point and, and kind of guessing where now you have a much better educated guess. You, you know what bridges to throw at Gardner Minshew on third down that can make him uncomfortable. You know that um, who he likes to go to. So let's say if you're not going to throw bridges, you know who you can bracket on in a specific area to be able to get Gardner Minshew to make a mistake. Like, Again, like, you know, I think that this is the, this opportunity for the Texans. I think it's going to be more the defense being a driving force to that. You know, the Texans have, like, a top 10 pass rush in that regard. Like, I think they, they have 45 sacks on the season. Yeah, Johnson and I won't probably, isn't going to be there. But I still think that they're going to be able to beat them up, cause some turnovers, stop the run, and be able to get out of there with a, with a comfortable victory. DJ, great work as always. Great stuff. Appreciate the conversations. I, I hope that you like Indy more than CJ Stroud does. Um, yeah, no, I don't like Indy at all. I probably like the rest of CJ Stroud. <laughs> all right, take it easy. Safe travels. We'll talk to you again down Thanks, the road. Man. Uh, DJ Bianami, no who problem, covers no the problem. Houston Texans for ESPN, ESPN.com, joining us on the HRP guest line. Uncle Mike has hung it up. 
favorite memory of Michael Brantley. 713-780-3776. Also, he's been brought up as an option to, to rejoin this team. Now what? What's the contingency now? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5, broadcasting live from East River 9. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Hey, what happened? And every time something would go wrong, I would look at the camera and say, Hey, what happened? Little flat ball. That is trouble and diving catch by Brantley from behind the runner. One of the best double plays in ALCS history. Back in the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios at East River Nine, it's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Brenham. One of the best double plays in ALCS history. Is it the most memorable play? In the career of a retiring Michael Brantley, what do you think? I think I think for most people that's that would rank as number one. I think the good thing is is there's some things to choose from because I think if you ask the players, it might be the speech that he gave when he didn't play when they won the World Series the second time, in the fact that everybody raves about just how that was. I saw Maldonado had a quote today that that was the reason why they won the the second World Series was the fact that. He got everybody dialed into this this locker room speech that he gave them in the, during the course of the playoffs. To me, it really was the fact that I was so down on how much money they spent and how we were led to believe last year that he was going to be ready by opening day, and then we didn't know if or when, and I wasn't even using his name because I really, truly didn't believe he was ever going to come back. And then to go to Minnesota, and in a series where you could have easily coughed it up, and I had some serious doubts about them being able to bring it back home and get out of that series – they go down one nothing in game four, and he hits the bomb that kind of levels the playing field and kind of gets everybody's nerves to calm down a little bit. But it's nice to know that there were there was there's a lot of moments to choose from when you're talking about Uncle Mike. Yeah, for me it's the catch. Uh, I tried hard to go find something else that was like more significant, like a big home run and a big game, and that, that was a big home run and a big game. Yeah. Uh, but this the the biggest moment was sure. the catch to double up Judge, and that was a, a pivotal game, and the Astros go to the World Series. Uh, so that was that that is the the most memorable play for me. Uh, for Michael Brantley as an Astro. Curious what it is for all of you, 713-780-3776. But a great career for Brantley. We wish him well in retirement. He's a big – he listens to the show every day. Uh, He finishes with 1,656 hits, 129 home runs. I saw somebody on Twitter today ask the question if Michael Brantley's a Hall of Famer. Not even close. Not even Not even the biggest homer on the planet should think that that's a legitimate chance to happen. That's that's – that's more than a bit of a stretch. He's at least 900 hits too shy of even really entering the conversation. With his lack of power, he probably would have needed to get to 3,000 hits, so maybe it's closer to like 1,300 hits shy of uh, being a Hall of Famer. Uh, no, he's not a Hall of Famer. He might not even be Hall of like really good. Like He was a good baseball player. He was a five-time All-Star. Solid, solid career. Not a Hall no. of Fame career for Michael Brantley. But that doesn't mean that he didn't have great memories in Houston. It doesn't mean that he didn't have a really good career. Now, Brantley has been a name that's been mentioned of like, hey, you know, let's let's shore up this this uh, bench a little bit. This bench is awful. It's not very good. What's a fallback plan if Jake Myers doesn't have success? I know that's a Brantley is a name that you've brought up, and I yep. like the idea yep. of kind of being your fourth outfielder, your insurance plan. Uh, now that uh, Brantley's retiring is there another option that you like oh there are but i mean are they willing to spend right because i like the one that you brought to the table the other day again with solaire solaire would be an outstanding ad solaire would be a guy that i think that would give them the kind of offensive punch that i would love to see in the in this lineup i just don't think that the astros are going to actually try to you know go out and extend themselves a little bit to go get a guy like that uh we discussed the other day, J.D. Martinez. I think from an offensive perspective, he'd be a great add for a guy that could really put a little extra, even more extra into this lineup. But defensively, we discussed it. Where would he play? How could you play him? Could you make that all work? He could be a part-time DH and spell you know, spell guys when if, if Yiner goes to first and, and do things like that. But is that enough? So I don't know who's out there because I think J.D., the reason why I threw it out there the other day was because it looks like he's going to come on the cheap because he wants someone to pick him up with a chance to win and a chance to still compete and maybe you get him for $6, 7000000 million a year. 
Yeah, um, I, if, if I'm guessing, I don't think that the Astros would, uh, would are going to spend money either. A pipe dream for Jorge Soler. I would love Soler's pop and power uh, into this uh, into this offense, but I don't think they're going to spend. I think they might have one free agent acquisition left, and that's a middle reliever. I, I think there's still a lot of like quality outfielders that are not great players, but yeah. can be your fourth outfielder. Maybe they're your left fielder if Jake really struggles. Like You've got Robbie Grossman. Is available. Will Myers, Jock Peterson, like there are guys. Hell, I, I don't would like. Take, I don't like the first two you mentioned. Hunter I, Renfro. I, I mean, Hunter he's, Renfro. He's, he's picked up. He, so who got him? Kansas City. Oh, yes. did they really? So like, I just that's, that's a trade candidate. Duvall for later in the year. is obviously so. out They're there. They're trying to win though, Kansas City, because that's a bad division. Yeah. Oh, they, they can have easily win that division. Yeah, the division's so, just bad. If they were in a real division, they wouldn't have a chance. But they're in a bad division, so you could. King of Twitch says you could have Hater. Uh, or Harrison Bader, he got ten and a half million dollars. Wow, that's crazy, and he's the same player as Jake Myers. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a bad nuts. contract. So, like, I, just to me, like there are there are plenty of guys out there. Hell, honestly, even like a guy like Whit Merrifield, who like is not the guy he once was in Kansas City. He's still a free agent. There is enough veteran talent where they should be adding someone that could, in theory, give you what you wanted from Michael Brantley. Not the average, but like the experience. And so that's five or six names right there. Like you, they should add one of What's, those guys. What do you think Peterson costs? Because Jock Peterson, to me, obviously, I've said before, he's my least favorite great major league baseball player. I think he would get double digits. Like if like Bader's if, getting ten, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, I mean like, that's the that's the problem. Now that Bader got ten and a half, he set a different standard for what a guy should be able. I to I mean, get. they're very different in the sense that Bader's a defensive, defensive guy. Like he's a Gold Glove guy. He's really elite defensively. He plays center field where Jock Peterson like can barely play the outfield anymore. So very different. But like these fringe free agents are going for ten million dollars. Like it's wild. Like if Jake Myers is a free agent, I think he might get eight million dollars. That's it's, ridiculous. It's, it is. It's nuts. So you can. I, I think it's probably why the Astros have strayed away from the idea of even like dabbling in the outfield markets. Like oh, this you know fourth outfielder Adam Duvall type wants fifteen million dollars a year. Sorry, can't do that. Yeah, at this point, it's a, it's a. Their spring training signings, like it's which guys are left that don't have jobs in the spring, and like that market has completely depleted itself. I mean, even before this deal, Jason Hayward got nine million to stay with the Dodgers, and he's not going to start for them. Like exactly, like it's just it makes no sense what these teams are paying these low level outfielders. So you just have to wait and see. And just and just wait it out. Like even the, the relief market's not moving. Yeah, the outfield market's not really moving either. Like, yeah. you really only had six or seven guys, and the only real great player left is, would be Bellinger. Bellinger right? So yep. there's a bunch of low level guys the Astros could sign because I just to me you have to. I don't think they're going to. I would agree that they have to if they have World Series aspirations. I think you could also get creative in, in trades. Like, we saw the trade today with Seattle and San Francisco. And Seattle, like, trading Robbie Ray is a salary dump. But, like, they got an outfielder back there with Hanniger. Uh, then you look at, like, hmm, like there was Ken Rosenthal tweeting today that Mazataka Yoshida could be on the trade market. I think Mazataka Yoshida is pretty similar to the player that Brantley has been the last couple of years, where he hits for high average, he doesn't strike out much, now his power's mediocre. Now, Yoshida's power is actually a little bit better than Brantley was last year. Not doesn't play very good defense, but he makes $18 million a year. So, like, could you trade for Yoshida, give up maybe a B, C-level prospect, but at the same time, you're taking Rafael Montero. So now it's like you're getting creative in a way to boost up your projected starting outfield. I think there's ways to do it. I don't predict that they're going to. It seems like they're very content with the outfield of Chaz in left, Jake in center, Tucker in right, Jordan's your DH. And I don't think it's good enough. And I think maybe what you – and I I don't even want to hope this, but I think if they're going to do anything with another bat, it's going to be between the transition between spring training and the start of the regular season if they just realize guys aren't just don't look the same or they just that offense just doesn't look like it has enough. Or right before the deadline when they figure they got to do something and add something. Because I'm with you. I think if they spend any more money, it's going to be on another arm in the bullpen, whether that is trying to retain one of their own or it is go out and get someone else because there's going to be a market of the five $6 million veteran relief guys that you might be able to add that can help you and plug and play in one of those later positions in the bullpen. But I think that if it's going to be a bat, it's going to have to be something that happens right before the start of the season or right before the deadline. Five eight nine five. Are we forgetting about Corey Jokes? Go Cougs. Uh, no, he was twenty seven years old last year. Hit two forty five and hit at an OPS of six fifty. Love Corey Jokes. I don't think he's much more than a backup outfielder. He might even be a four A player. Hate to say that. Let's go Cougs, but I have to say that. Joe, you irritated the uh, the text line seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Why? Never jock. And then a couple of other things about Jock that we just can't say. 
Uh, people don't like Jock Peterson. That kind of lends itself to why I think he's my most disliked and hated baseball player in the league. Yeah, it's, to me, it's one of those things where once he, if he signed with the Astros, people would forget right away. I don't think they'd forget. It would be like more tolerate him. Yeah. I think it's a different word. I Is forget, Bellinger uh, tougher or, to tolerate than Jock? Uh, I mean, if they could pay for Bellinger, people would love him. No, but I'm saying of out. the two, when, from an Astros oh. fan perspective, Bellinger's top of the list and Jock's somewhere underneath Def- that with the Definitely. money gestures and all the stuff he did. 5895, take away the slump that he, Jokes, had before they sent him back down and he had a great year. Also good defensively. He was good defensively. Great year, I hesitate to say. Go look at his baseball savants. Like, I don't think he's a big league player. Uh, Austin, Uncle Mike's beautiful swing is my favorite memory as well as the respect he garnered from everyone. He was one of the most well-respected players in all of baseball. And lefty swings just hit different. The swings of good That's left-handed pretty. hitters just hit different. My favorite, my favorite memory is nothing to do with on the field, though. I'll, I the day that Michael Brantley signed with the Toronto Blue Jays for like oh, yeah. four hours, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then it changed. All of a sudden, he's meeting with the media on a Zoom, and he's back with the Astros. Yeah, like the day after losing Springer to the Blue Jays was one of the wildest days. Yeah, it was because it was uh, like three-year deal. He's in Toronto. Yeah, it's done. And then like two hours later, Berman's like, "Not so fast." Brantley's back to the Astros. <laughs> wild. One of my favorite ones too is one that happened this past year when Brantley's taking BP, and he like looks over at his dad watching oh, him. Great. Yeah, what a great moment! Like yeah. you have your father and the thirty-eight-year-old man looking at his father. Mine's the, mine's the the flat tire change, the, the the off the field story about him and Springer, and they used to drive to the games together, and that they have the flat tire and they have to change it together, and then that became their little their little gesture whenever they both do. I want to say when they got to the game that night, either one or both of them had big games after changing the tire. There was a home run maybe that yeah. night, yeah. and that became their deal, and that was something that everybody else kind of got behind too, and that was a cool story. Fifty thirty says I'm going to miss saying professional hitter. We'll have to find a new professional hitter. Corey says I'd love for him to stay in the organization. I, I feel like Brantley's the kind of guy that disappears forever. Like he just go lives on his money and we never hear from him again. I don't think we'll so. see. I feel like I, again? I feel like you could see him as a coach. Maybe just give a sprint like because Bagwell didn't like that whole grind of the whole schedule traveling all the time to be a hitting coach. Michael Brantley is too, we always talk about him being the professional hitter. He's too good of a hitter that has too much knowledge to pass on that even for a spring training kind of job. I could see him staying in the game just to teach and, and because yeah. he loves hitting. Maybe so. 713-780-3776. What's the fear factor that you have of some of these Colts offensive weapons? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees broadcasting live from East River 9 on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville, best in the business at the Neograph procedure. If you don't know what it is, but you're losing your hair, you've got pattern baldness flat out. You're already gone bald. You don't think there's anything you can do about it? They're absolutely is. It's not the sprays and the creams and the foams that mask the problem. It's actually solving the problem by taking your hair where it's never going to go away. Genetically, you're never going to lose the hair on the sides and the back of your head. I learned that thanks to Doc Linville. He takes some of that and puts it where you need it most. Maybe it's up in front on your hairline or in back up on top where you got a shiny spot. But it, ma- it doesn't mask the problem. It takes care of the problem. And right now for 2024, he's got a new special going on, $3.50 a follicle. That is a huge savings. He's not trying to make money on this deal. He told me personally, he's trying to get people involved to do it so that they can understand how big of a game changer it can be. Check him out today. Tell him I sent you by. But first thing before you do that is go to 975hair.com because that's where you get the ESPN deal. You can meet with Doc and his staff for absolutely free. It normally costs 150 bucks, but you get to ask all the questions, get all the answers, and not a single dollar comes out of your pocket. You don't have to sign on the dotted line or make any kind of commitments. But you can find out if it's right for you, too. It was right for me. I could not be happier with the process. Maybe you make 2024 the year you get more hair. Go to see Doc Linville at 975hair.com. You're watching ESPN 97.5 with your ears. High definition.